but we're all working towards this this fixed window in time, this 10 to 15 minute window where we need to make sure that we've freed the airways of the victim under the snow. This is Will Sherman from Safebeck, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast. You are tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast, your source for great conversations within the snow and avalanche community. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by VEASAN Avalanche Control, safety through innovation. With additional sustaining support from Gordini, we keep you outside longer. And Open Snow. Visit opensnow.com to get started with a free trial and enter the discount code Avalanche Podcast at checkout to receive 30% off your first year of Open Snow All Access. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're doing real well. Hope you had a great holiday season and happy new year. I'm recording this intro on January 3rd. I just got out to the Wallawas a couple days ago, and things are starting to get busy for me. I've got some airy courses, some guide trainings, and some yurt trips lined up, as well as some forecasting here and there. And uh, the only thing we're missing is some snow. There's a little bit of snow out there, but... Um, it is pretty sparse. Looks like there's a pattern change on the doorstep that'll have come and gone by the time you listen to this, but I'm hopeful it'll start to shape things up a little bit better for us. We've got a great podcast episode lined up for you today. We are going to be chatting with William Sherman of Safeback. Have you heard about Safeback? Safeback is a Norwegian company that has developed some new technology that integrates into a backpack or a vest to hopefully increase your chances of survival if buried by an avalanche. I'm excited to to share some of this new technology with you through my interview with William. But first, Joel Gratz of Open Snow. He's the founder and head meteorologist at Open Snow. Uh, Joel swung by the podcast studio Uh, virtual podcast studio uh, a couple days ago and we recorded a little bit about what open snow does and their mission and why you ought to check it out so without further ado let's jump into a a short interview with joel gratz all right i'd like to welcome joel gratz to the avalanche hour podcast joel how are you doing today doing great thanks for having me on yeah of course joel is the founder of open snow and if you haven't heard of Open Snow, you should check it out. I'll just kind of explain how I found it. I was on a recent trip down to South America and looking for some some weather information for, for an upcoming ski trip. And I, I found Open Snow to be super helpful to plan out our, our ski trip down there and just um, get some kind of high-level weather data. And one of the things that I appreciated the most about that was that I was getting, I think, bi-weekly updates from an actual forecaster that was um, evaluating what was going on down there. Whether they were in South America or not, I'm not sure. But um, it was super helpful to give me a, a, a better clue into where the best skiing was going to be. 
And so, Joel, happy to have you here, and I appreciate your support of the podcast. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your background in meteorology, your interest in skiing and the snow, and why you decided to start Open Snow and kind of how it's evolved over time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a great story about South America and Luke, who's been um, writing our South American forecasts uh, during the South American winter, so North American summer, uh, updated those a couple times a week um, and, and was starting to pay really close attention to the weather patterns there. And uh, but we can get into that an- another time. Well, you know, open snow is a uh, solution to a personal problem, <laughs> which was uh, finding good weather and and powder information, really trying to forecast powder days for my friends and I. I grew up skiing on the East Coast in Pennsylvania. I had no idea that powder was a thing. Uh, I, I spent the better part of 18 years at Shawnee Mountain, which is 700 vertical feet in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, I had a blast. Like I was racing. I wasn't very good, but I was a, I was a racer. I was a ski instructor. I really just loved skiing. And because I loved skiing, I started to love weather because, of course, we needed, you know, snow for snowmaking and then trying to track nor'easters. And so I was just a weather nerd uh, as a kid. And so I went to school at Penn State for meteorology, uh, continued to be a weather nerd, went to the University of Colorado for grad school in both business and policy and environmental studies and meteorology and kind of this whole smorgasbord of thing. When I got to Colorado, something magical happened. I discovered powder. And I was like, Wow. This is kind of the culmination of both passions, right? I love weather and I love skiing. And here's now we're putting them together because powder is this perishable thing. You got to be in the right place at the right time. And it turned out, you know, forecasting snow and and nor'easters on the East Coast was hard. But there were some times in Colorado when the forecast was just uh, the technical term, not really so technical, it's called busted, you know, and the forecast is just totally wrong. And this happened more frequently than I was used to. And my friends would just chalk it up and say, well, weather forecasts aren't always right. I said, well, you know, if you say two to four inches and you get six, I get it, right? It's not perfect. But if you say, I don't know, six, eight, 10 inches and Steamboat gets 48 inches in two or three days, like that's what something is happening here that we're not figuring out. So this just set me down a path uh, right after grad school of trying to solve this problem, this powder problem <laughs> for my friends and I, uh, and, and it has evolved into, uh, into open snow. Yeah. Awesome. So talk a little bit about what sets open snow apart from some other weather apps that are out there. Like why should, why should people check out open snow? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of apps, right? There's a lot of tabs <laughs> that we have open in our computers. And our goal is maybe not for you to not need all of those tabs, but hopefully you won't need half or two thirds of those tabs because we're trying to put all of this information that you're going to need into one spot. Um, and so we are going after, I mean, I hate to say it, but like people like you and me and probably a lot of the listeners that are uh, either professionals in the snow world or are at least really dialed in to the snow world. You know, we have people that, uh, that use us that ski a handful of times a year because they're trying to time powder days. And I totally get that. But our bread and butter is, is folks that are just into the weather, into the snow, trying to get every ounce of data and understand it. So one of the things that we do is called daily snows. So it's exactly what you mentioned at the beginning, uh, which is we have forecasters all over 
uh, that are putting all of this data into human terms. Uh, these are not AI bots. Uh, these are real people uh, that know local weather and they know local snow and are explaining what's going on. There is some education. Uh, it's somewhat brief, usually a couple paragraphs with some uh, with some graphics. So that's that's something that you just can't find anywhere else. And so we have that a lot of the Western U.S., Eastern U.S., Canada, now in South America, also now in Europe. Uh, so we're trying to just make this data more accessible um, to people. So those are daily snows. Um, we do 10-day forecasts like a lot of other apps, but we're averaging a bunch of weather model data and attempting to dial it into exact lat lawns and elevations. So we're not just pulling data from the nearest town, right? We actually have points up on the mountain and we're not just pulling data from Apple Weather or the Weather Channel or something and repackaging it. We are downloading many, up to seven or even 10 weather models and then piecing them together and trying to use the best parts of each one. That doesn't mean we're always right or they're always the most accurate, but we are fully focused on getting this right for the mountains, not just taking data from somebody else and not for the nearby town. So we got daily snows. We have these 10-day forecasts. We also, and for a lot of the professionals or, or just kind of backcountry folks in the audience, we have something called Forecast Anywhere. So you can tap on a point anywhere in the world on land and get a forecast uh, for that, that area. So winds, temps, snowfall, freezing level of snow levels, uh, and a handful of other things for that point, right? So if you're on a ridge somewhere, you're in a valley somewhere, you're just far from any town, at least you have some weather data. Again, the weather models aren't perfect. I'll be the first to say it, but at least you got something that's hopefully tailored to that um, exact area. And then one more thing that we just released that's really impactful for the Western US and Western Canada is we're calling live snow. Uh, which is our name for weather stations. So a lot of us that are really dialed into things, you know, we're trying to piece together snowfall from weather stations in the backcountry. Snowtel sites, there's about a thousand of them. And there's just other weather stations that measure snow. And there's various tabs that you have opened <laughs> to try to find this stuff. And it's not just about temperatures or winds, but some of the weather stations actually measure snow. Some actually measure snow water equivalent right? What you'd get if you melted the snow and you're trying to figure out, well, how much snow did that turn into? So we just put this uh, on our apps and websites. So iOS, Android, and, and our website, where any point you click, any resort, any location in the Western US and Canada, um, you'll be able to see local weather stations in our 24-hour estimate, hour by hour, of how much snow fell um, there based on the snow to liquid ratio and all sorts of other nerdy stuff. So again, it's not perfect, but we're, you know, I used to have Literally, if I was chasing, you know, 10 tabs open in the morning, trying to piece this stuff together, and we're trying to slowly bring it in um, to one platform. So again, daily snows, these 10-day forecasts for the exact points, forecast anywhere on land on earth, um, and then live snow, which are these weather stations. So there's a bunch more stuff. There's time-lapse cams, and you can compare all these forecasts easily on one screen and scroll through everything. So we can get into that another time, but we'll probably run out of time before we get there. Uh, but those are probably the highlights. Um, for the audience that's listening of kind of super nerdy snow folks that would like open snow. And if you can tell that I'm excited and passionate about this stuff, it's because this is all, you know, I've been thinking about for, for really the better part of 15 or 20 years and trying to piece all of this stuff together. And it's not just for, you know, the audience, it's for me too. Right. And, and for you, like th this is what I do in the morning at four 30 in the morning, trying to figure out what the snow is going to do or what it has done. Um, and so hopefully this is not just solving 
my itch, but uh, a lot of people's as well. Well, yeah, it's no secret that we live in a pretty data-rich environment these days, and it can be quite overwhelming. And, and one of the values that I see in it is just having a, a, an actual forecaster kind of distilling down, like you said, in, in the daily snows, um, looking at all the models and, and helping us to kind of interpret that because everybody has a different level of knowledge of, of weather patterns and, and being able to interpret these models. And so, um, yeah, I think you guys have done a great job with this and, and I'm super impressed and I hope the listeners can, can check this out as well. And you all are offering a, a discount code for your, your all access subscription to Open Snow for the Avalanche Hour podcast listeners. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about that, Joel? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have um, a limited amount of functionality for free, but when you come to Open Snow on the app or the website, uh, you can sign up for a, uh, for a free trial on there and kind of get your feet wet. And then there's a a special discount code that um, probably will be in the show notes and we can we can talk about as well. Um, but people sometimes ask about, you know, why isn't this information free on Open Snow, right? Sometimes I can get it, you know, if I know the right tab to go to, you know, you can piece some of this together. And that's true. Uh, and of course, people are welcome to go to all those tabs. It turns out that piecing together all of this information, downloading it, adjusting it, presenting it, updating it, making sure the data doesn't go down, um, updating it across all apps and websites requires a team of people to make this whole thing work. Um, and we uh, we make some money on on people advertising on Open Snow, uh, but the majority of our 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 revenue is on subscriptions. Uh, people paying for either a single plan, meaning just for you, or a group uh, subscription, which means you plus three other people, which is a really good deal. Um, and so that that helps the business not only you know stick around but thrive and we can hire people and we can add more features and make things faster and hopefully more accurate. And so that that's, you know, the weather piece is one challenge to running the business, right? But the other piece is, you know, actually making the finances work. And we've been lucky that a lot of people have supported us and continue to do so. And the renewal rate um, on our subscriptions is super high. Um, and that just makes me super excited, which means, you know, people are getting value out of this and come back uh, year after year. So that is the short answer of why, you know, some of this data, which is freely available in various places, uh, but on, you know, 10, 20, 30 tabs, uh, costs a little bit of money, but we like to say, you know, somewhere, uh, the, the, the full price of the subscription is going to be thirty one ninety nine for single or forty nine ninety nine for four total people. Um, but when you break that down across skiing, we feel like that's one of the better deals <laughs> in in ski i mean look i spend money on gear i spend money on travel i spend money on my kids chicken fingers you know at the resort right and so we're trying to keep this affordable uh for people and also make it uh, a good business for us and i think we're, we're we're threading that needle uh at this point yeah some other added value pieces of the the platform are, are kind of just blog the the blog side of things articles and then you you all have a podcast as well right the flakes podcast yeah, and so you know, if you, as we're all driving around uh, for snow, uh, there's nothing better than driving for snow and listening to you know more information about snow. So you know, this the Avalanche Hour podcast is wonderful. We also have the Flakes podcast, which is a little bit more focused on uh, on on weather uh, and, and updated every week uh, with what's going on with weather and some nerdiness behind the scenes as well. And as you mentioned, 
one big piece of open snow is is education. So you can learn more about snow and weather as it relates to skiing and riding on our daily snows. But we also have a bunch of articles uh, that are freely to view or free to view on our uh, news section in the app and the website about tons of topics uh, related to snow and and weather. So hopefully they it can start to demystify things like the snow to liquid ratio or multiple models or and there's just so much. Uh, that we take for granted. And like you said, people have a different uh, level of knowledge. You know, some people are in this stuff every day. Others have more of a cursory view. And hopefully uh, if you really like snow and weather, as much as I think we can help you, uh, there's no amount of work that we can do that'll be better than you helping yourself. Because if you know a zone, as much as you're going to read us and look at the data, you're going to make your own interpretations and how that actually works in that zone. You'll probably wind up being the best forecaster for your particular zone if you get really into it. So hopefully some of these educational articles uh, will help. And, you know, they're not books, they're not research papers, they're a couple paragraphs, and and hopefully it'll help, um, you know, the listeners uh, understand more about what to look for in some of these forecasts. Well, Joel, thanks to you and your team for having this vision and making it a reality. I think it's a great resource for anybody who loves snow out there. Um, and thanks for swinging by and telling us a little bit more about open snow. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you out there. Thanks for swinging by the show, Joel. Head on over to opensnow.com. You can enter the code avalanche podcast and check out to receive 30% off your next year's subscription of all access on open snow. And here we go, dropping in with William Sherman. Welcome to the show, Will. How are you doing today? You know, things are good. Uh, we've had low pressure and sun in Western Norway in the fall. It's uh, a bit of an anomaly, but uh, yeah, this, it's nice and chilly, snow in the high country, so we're, we're getting excited. Awesome. So you're in Norway. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Safeback and, and how your life and, and Safeback's innovation have kind of intersected. Absolutely. Um, so Safeback is a Norwegian snow safety company that's founded with the purpose of uh, creating products to decrease avalanche fatalities in our communities. And the first product that we're introducing to the market is uh, called SBX. It's an active air supply system to help extend the possible survival window uh, during burial under the snow, uh, increasing the margins of survival that we have uh, before suffocation uh, becomes a fatal risk. And this company was founded by three engineers in Western Norway, three friends that I met at university. And they started the company in 2017 with this uh, dream and idea of uh, bringing a product that could have this type of function to the market. And uh, I joined the team full-time in, in 2022 as the fourth musketeer. Um, my background, I'm a freeride splitboarder and snowboarder from Fort Collins, Colorado. And I've split my adult life sort of between Colorado and, and Scandinavia. And right when I moved here four years ago uh, to Bergen, I, I met the CEO through the climbing community. And uh, he... Uh, brought me in as 
the company became less and less secretive about what they were developing. And so I've been involved in shaping the story and understanding and communicating what this product is since, since the first time that we ever said anything publicly about it. And so ultimately, my job is to make sure that uh, users, both recreational and pro, and, and also backpack producers understand our product and uh, how it's integrated as a safety tool uh, in, our, in our backcountry toolbox. All right. And, and so do you have Scandinavian roots? Like, is your, is your family from Norway or anything? Yeah, I had some Norwegian-American immigrant stories that were uh, told as I was growing up and uh, some family that's lived out here intermittently. And so a lot of exposure through childhood, indirectly through these kind of family stories. And ultimately, that led me to start looking at how I could how I could have my own relationship with this place and uh, come out here and, and, and experience it for myself. And ultimately, I, I moved here for graduate school, uh, which was a great introduction to both the, the, the culture and the language and, and placed me here in, in Western Norway as well, which I'm very grateful for. As a Coloradan growing up in and around continental snowpack, it's uh, it's a, a real joy to have maritime conditions and maritime stability uh, for an extended period of time. Uh, so it's uh, it's been a really really fun time personally, and and extremely engaging to be involved in uh, the Safeback project uh, as well. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about kind of the basis around the SBX technology. I was hoping you could maybe just kind of remind uh, some of our listeners about the avalanche survival curve and some some statistics around how people are dying in avalanches. Um, you know, as I recall, you know, it's kind of 75% of fatalities in avalanches in, are, are from asphyxiation and around 25% are from trauma, you know, give or take with those numbers and and a small percentage with hypothermia. Um, does that track for you? And is there any other latest research? Yeah, uh, those are definitely the the latest numbers. Um, at ICAR, uh, the URAC team presented the new data, which unfortunately is under embargo, but uh, their previous studies have shown consistency and that suffocation is is going to be and has been the the leading cause of death for for avalanche burial. Um, your numbers of seventy five percent and twenty five percent are are largely correct. There there are some difference differences that have been found regionally. Pascal Hegley has done some research using the same methods, uh, but with a Canadian data set, and has found increases in trauma in the Canadian av- avalanche survival curve, mostly because of the occurrence of uh, of avalanches under treeline and the increase of of terrain traps in in causing traumas that that might not exist in in data sets in the Alps. Um, the original survival curve is based off of Swiss uh, data, uh, and and so largely we we see that there are differences where sometimes some research has shown ten minutes uh, to survive before suffocation becomes a large mortal threat. That's what the Canadian is, uh, study has shown, and the data in Switzerland and, and in Austria has has shown roughly fifteen minutes before. Uh, you enter what's referred to as the asphyxiation period, the period between 15 and 30 minutes uh, that that 
is where most fatalities are occurring and the likelihood of survival is dropping drastically from that 9 of 10 who are uh, being recovered alive uh, and rescued uh, to the 3 of 10 at 30 minutes who who are generally considered to have an, an air pocket. And that's what has led them to be able to survive past the 30-minute mark or even up to the 30-minute mark. And so when we were looking at the avalanche safety market and these statistics and uh, all of the innovation that was happening uh, to help reduce fatalities given this extremely short timeline, we saw there's obviously a ton of innovation with airbags to make them more user-friendly, make them uh, more efficient and intuitive uh, to, to take with you. And then uh, at the other end of an avalanche accident, we have rescue equipment that's been optimized and techniques that have helped us to be faster at digging and locating uh, victims under the snow. But we're all working towards this this fixed uh, window in time, uh, this 10 to 15 minute window where we need to make sure that we've freed the airways of the victim under the snow. Looking at, at what was being innovated, uh, the SAFEC team, uh, Torberga, Andre Milhus and Sigmund Andreasen, they started to question what could be done to actually extend the the window of time that you could continue breathing under the snow instead of trying to shave off seconds and, and minutes off of the rescue process. After looking at what was being introduced, uh, it had gone 25 years since the last innovation for that yeah most vulnerable victim under the snow. And at the same time, all of us continue to put our beacons in descent. We're all training rescue procedures as a standard part of, of avalanche training, both recreational and, and pro. And we all kind of collectively acknowledge the, the possibility of burial uh, and, and want to be prepared to mitigate the chance of fatality as much as possible by, by making sure we're up to date on the best techniques and have the, the correct equipment to make sure that things will go as, as good as possible. Ultimately, uh, that was the the kernel, the idea that that led to Safeback being founded. Uh, that w- what if we could uh, make this amount of time uh, for a rescue to happen a little bit longer? Mm. And would you say some of this some of this innovation was kind of spurred by the original technology of the Avalung? I mean, this this idea has been around for a while, and you certainly don't see too many people wearing Avalungs these days. But when the Avalon came out, this was it was huge for the for the industry and and so we're we kind of talking about the same principle here, but on a on a bigger scale. We're talking about the 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 same problem and largely also the same principles that allow our system to work in the same way as Avalon uh, did. Basically, snow is porous, and if you can retrieve clean air. Uh, from a, a different place than you're exhaling, or if you can somehow manage the air quality that's being ingested into your body when you're breathing, then you can delay suffocation. And Abalung, uh, as you said, uh, when it was first launched, was incredibly successful. And uh, while it's not on the market anymore, we, we definitely looked to a lot of their findings to help uh, inspire and motivate us to use modern technologies to to create a user-friendly system uh, that that could take a mouthpiece out of your mouth uh, first and foremost uh, and that also would be something that could utilize some modern technologies modern power systems in order to 
to make something that can be smoothly integrated into your backpack uh, in, in a similar way to how uh, airbags are being done these days, especially electronic fan-based airbags. So, Will, with some of these parameters in mind and, and the goals of the system, um, what were some early developments in the, in the technology and how did you test those? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it goes without saying that we had a, a steep hill to climb as a startup brand without the resources of these, these major players. Uh, but we, we were lucky to have access to some big institutions that could help us uh, supervise our research, design our research, and make sure that we were collecting data that could be reliable to, to answer some of these questions. A breakthrough finding that we had that opened a lot of doors initially was related to what happens when you take a, a fan-based pump like this and bury it under snow, and how much air can you actually pull out. And and our earliest prototypes helped us to basically show that, that snow stores a high amount of air, and we know that avalanche densities are between 330 to 500 uh, kilograms per cubic meter. And a lot of our testing has happened in snow densities that are even and even heavier than that. But uh, we know that there's a ton of latent air. And when we turned our fan on for the first time in these early experiments, we were amazed by how much uh, continuity the, the exists in the snowpack in this, this airfield, that we could continue running our fan until the batteries died. And um, that allowed us to come in contact with some some research help. Uh, we've worked a lot with third-party researchers, both on our, our own field experiments that are just related to our technology, and then also working with a lot of medical uh, experts working in mountain medicine who've helped take hypotheses related to our product and uh, and and test them as a third party. The success of our experiment uh, finding this source of clean air allowed us to come in contact with the Mountain Medical Research Group at the University of Bergen here in, in our in our hometown. What they uh, took to run with was this idea that uh, if there's a, a lot of air available in the snow that you can retrieve, uh, what are what happens to the body when you receive supplemental air in front of your face? And they designed an experiment where they, they buried 20 volunteers from the neck up twice, uh, once with no supplemental air and once with two liters a minute. And this trial happened in 2019 and then was published in the Resuscitation Medical Journal in 2022, confirming that the, the amount of supplemental air that was put, pumped into their breathing area was enough to sustain their, their uh, vitals uh, for the duration of, of that burial period. The, the max burial time in that experiment was around 20 minutes. So we're not talking about extremely extended burials, but the, the, all of the, the important metrics uh, to sustaining life and especially avoiding suffocation were greatly helped by the introduction of the supplemental air. And so after uh, that, we, we started also looking at our needs in terms of uh, product testing. Uh, big outdoor companies have huge athlete teams and a lot of resources to put their products through the ringer and ensure that they're going to be uh, extremely safe. And we have done exactly that, but through some, some unique channels. Uh, we were able to get in in touch with the Norwegian uh, Armed Forces. Norwegian Armed Forces are a big part of Norwegian life. There's a lot of uh, 
I wouldn't say mandatory service, but a lot of uh, servitude in the military among Norwegian people. And uh, among other things, the, the NATO Center of Excellence for Winter Warfare is in Norway. So there's a high degree of, uh, of researchers and also soldiers that are spending every day on skis that uh, we were able to use as a resource for, number one, the development of our product and testing under snow. Um, there's a research institution called the FFI in Norway. And it's the establishment for research in the Norwegian military. And so they gave us professional researchers to help design experiments and simulations where we're burying a dummy under, under a meter of snow, avalanche snow, in a, a myriad of different uh, snow conditions to test how well our system can actually move air through that snow. And especially looking at the question of air coming from your collarbones and going past your face to flush out the the air that you're exhaling to flush out the co2 that you're you're breathing into the snowpack and and ensure that the oxygen and co2 levels are staying normal and then above the snow uh, these uh, winter soldiers were uh, for three years using the first second and third iterations of our product to give us uh all of the critique that we wanted to hear and and didn't want to hear about uh, our product in terms of its uh, applicability to to their use in uh, as kind of super users in the, the winter warfare school. Uh, all of this to say, uh, we we had a huge amount of uh, third party help uh, on all of our fronts to to help us answer these questions and and ensure that the product that we're taking to market has been. Uh, tested and then some uh, by by some of the most demanding users that we could find uh, without uh, with the resources that we have and uh, we've been extremely proud of the the findings and and uh, of all the studies and and most importantly the the end product itself. Yeah, it seems like you certainly haven't rushed this to the market. You know, like there's been um, very thorough testing that's taken place, as you just explained. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, the the founders, they often joke that they thought they'd have a product out in a year. And six years later, now now we're launching. So it's uh, there's been a ton going on behind the scenes to, to make sure that the product has been through a lot in order to get here and, and make sure that we are delivering something that, that we, we know will meet the parameters that we talked about in terms of the function of the product, but also the user friendliness uh, as, a, as, a, as a new tool in your, in your quiver. So most recently, Will, coming out of ICAR, there was quite a bit of buzz and I've talked to some colleagues that were there um, about uh, uh, the latest clinical trial that happened with SafeBack. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there were, you had 30 volunteers in a double blind test um, that was independent of SafeBack. These were independent researchers looking at your system. And so 15 of these volunteers had a working SafeBack system, and then 15 of them had a placebo. And there were maybe oxygen saturation sensors with these people. And, you know, safety was a priority for, for the volunteers that were underneath the snow. But this is like, uh, this is a pretty big deal that this test happened. I know that some of the results are still under lock and key, but what can you tell us about that that test? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's worth 
spooling back to the the University of Bergen trial as well, and the the results of that test were presented, and uh, the success of that trial and the findings that they had were really important to to coming into contact with with the people who conducted the study. Something that uh, means a lot to us too. Uh, we we talked about the avalanche survival curve before, and URAC Research uh, is the institution who conducted these studies and URAC was founded by Hermann Brugger and uh, the, the one of the fathers of the avalanche survival curve in that first paper published in the 90s uh, and we were over the moon to to pique their interest and and have a chance to submit our products to be evaluated by by them in the context of the knowledge that they have about avalanche survival and uh, the, its development since the 80s when they started looking at at this data set. The independence of the study is extremely important for me to stress. We have always wanted uh, this to be entirely financially independent of SafePack. Uh, we submitted the, the the products to be tested, and that was the extent of our involvement. We're extremely, extremely pleased with uh, the 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 way that they've conducted themselves and and made a test that will give a really nuanced picture of the performance of our product and and how the airflow that you receive in the snowpack can interact with those physiological parameters that we talked about in that original study. While we're while we're extremely confident that uh, and excited to see the results, uh, the independence of the study also means that we will see the results with uh, you, Caleb. Uh, so, the audience of Avalanche Hour and and everyone uh, in the community will be seeing the results of the study when it's published in a medical journal. Uh, so we we don't have anything outside of what's uh, what you shared to to talk about and. Uh, all that said, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, the studies had a pretest that was presented at ICAR to all commissions, and it was extremely exciting to see the, the Avacom, the Terracom, the Dogcom, and, and uh, Medicom all gathered to to hear the the initial results from from the pretest that they shared. There's no doubt that the data set that they're assembling, uh, also in combination with the the snow data they brought in the SLF Davos from Switzerland to measure snow densities, uh, and and have that as a data set that's attached to the performance of each of the burial trials. Uh, there's no doubt that the data set that they're going to have uh, published eventually is uh, extremely thorough uh, in its examination of how well our product works at keeping you alive. Yeah, that's that's incredible, and and uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that it is such a independent uh, research project here to looking at some of these factors and the efficacy of, of the SBX system. Um, yeah, it's tremendous. So here's something that's been nagging at me and, and just to kind of clue the listeners in, I've been talking to William for almost a year now about this technology and, and full transparency right off the bat. I was like, I was like, man, this is not, the direction that I think the community needs to be going. I think we need to rely on better communication with our partners, avalanche avoidance, and good decision-making, good conservative decision-making to keep people from dying in avalanches. And so there's so much new technology on the market today. It seems like every other week a new app comes out that's going to help me make better decisions or you know, look at all the navigation applications that are out there. And so 
there's a lot of people in the community that are kind of wary of this over-reliance on technology that might lead us to cutting corners and in the foundations of backcountry safety. How is SafeBack navigating this and, and kind of integrating that into the introduction of the product? Yeah, absolutely. I, you say a lot of things there that, that we feel the exact same way about. We don't take introducing a product with this function or the promise of, of increasing survival lightly. And uh, if we have the product development on, on one side, we also had a lot of development of communications about the product uh, going on on the other side that, that I've been involved in directly. And one thing that we've looked at uh, is the research around risk adjustment. And obviously, we've we've looked at the studies about risk adjustment with the introduction of airbags and the use of airbags, but we've also looked at uh, things outside of the community. Uh, one interesting study and resource that we had was the Norwegian Road Authority, where they saw the introduction of four-wheel drive cars actually lead to higher percentage and higher likelihood of, of uh, ending up in an accident if you had a four-wheel drive car uh, right when it was introduced than, than afterwards. And one nugget that we got from them that was critical to, to our communication of this product is to always be clear about the limitations of the system in order to allow people to understand that their decisions will still have consequence and that there is still a huge risk of being caught in an avalanche. Uh, ultimately, we don't, we don't think that traveling the backcountry with SafeBack is any different than traveling without it. And our system is looking at a situation, an absolute worst case scenario, where you end up under the snow. And that worst case scenario is not something that we think anyone is going to find appealing, even if they know that they have a higher margin of, of survival. And um, as I mentioned before, we're all uh, trying to be as prepared for this situation as it is. Uh, the action of putting our beacon into send mode is a declaration that we think there's a non-zero chance of, of going under the snow. And our hope and the mission of this company is to, to save a life in the backcountry. We want to take someone's absolute worst day in the backcountry and make sure that it's exclusively their own and, and not something that will impact their partners as they have to dig them out not something that will impact their communities after their their spirit is uh, echoing um, in, in the memories of their loved ones. And we're extremely conscious of the impact that avalanche deaths have on the backcountry skiing community in all across the globe. And so we, we don't take it lightly at all. We're, we're extremely clear about the limitations of our system, and I'll just hop right into them right now. Um, our system is meant to supply you with fresh air in situations where you're able to breathe under the snow. So this means that your your airways are not blocked and also that your chest cavity is able to move. So in there's, there's a really poor data set on both of these two things. Uh, what is the correlation between deep burial and uh, your chest cavity not being able to move, your diaphragm not being able to move, and also uh, how many uh, people end up with blocked airways. But when we look at the avalanche survival curve, we see that that first 10% 
uh, are not able to survive uh, up to that 10, 15 minute mark. And to us, that's a clear indication that they have no no access to oxygen at all. And so we know for sure that that 10% uh, is, is not able to breathe. And so we're extremely focused on this 60% between that 15 minute mark and the 30 minute mark of people who uh, don't have an air pocket, but are able to breathe under their own power. And all of the testing that we've done about the function of our system and everything we've learned about the, the medical requirements uh, that are necessary to extend survival and avoid suffocation, uh, we, we, we're extremely confident that the system can help meet those parameters and, and give those people a much better chance at, at being rescued and not recovered. Awesome. Yeah. I think it's it's critical to accept the limitations of any technology, and I appreciate you laying that out for us. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the system itself and kind of how it's integrated into packs and vests and, and products and also kind of the use, how it's used. How, how's that set up? Yeah, so let's, let's start with SBX itself. So SBX is an air pump where... You have an air pump that's in your backpack integrated with a mesh window similar to an electric airbag where air is being sucked into the bag and then pushed through two hoses that sit on your shoulder straps. So the system consists of uh, those static pieces, the, the control unit, which contains the fan and the batteries and the hoses that are sitting statically in your shoulder straps. And then otherwise, the only moving parts are uh, your your manual activation trigger Uh we we are the the product has an abstract function at its core and so while we have ideas of of how we can introduce redundancy and activation the standard that's been set by avalanche air, airbags is one that we're uh, willing to follow and and so we we are also uh, manually activated uh, in in this first year the backpack is also designed with very specific specs to number one, ensure that there's free airflow through the system and that the air that is sucked into the backpack is also freely allowed to escape into the snowpack and 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 create that airflow past your face. That means that your air quality can stay stable. Uh, and then also this backpack needs to stay on your body. Uh, there, So there are some strength requirements where the backpack, we need to make sure that you have a leg loop and that the outlets are sitting a certain distance away from, from your mouth and nose. Uh, the airflow that we've uh, calculated and tested is basically uh, based on a, a, a maximum distance of 25 centimeters or 10 inches where in a worst case scenario, if your your head is craned all the way back and you're not able to, uh, you're you're like physically as far away from one of these outlets, you'll still receive enough air to meet those minimum requirements uh, found in, in the medical trial in 2019. In any situation where your mouth and nose are really close to one of your shoulders, where these outlets are located, then you'll receive a significantly higher uh, volume of air, uh, enough to absolutely uh, create airflow to a point where where we can main, maintain uh, very good air quality. We're introducing these avalanche backpacks with the function of this air supply to your shoulder straps. So the first backpack uh, is from a, a partner called Bergens of Norway. It's a back backpack that's been developed with an extremely experienced IFMGA mountain guide here in Norway uh, named Sigurd Felda. And Sigurd has 
done everything that you can do in skiing and mountaineering uh, and is now living full-time skiing in his in his hometown, Sondal, Norway. And he wanted to make a backpack that he could use in all four seasons and in any conditions for his alpine guided work. So uh, Bergens has come up with a really unique solution where our system is fully removable. It's a part of a harness in the top lid. And so you can use this this bag uh, for all of your uh, three season adventures where you're using it primarily as a climbing pack and then rig up the safe back in the top lid uh, for days when you're going to have some exposure to to avalanche terrain. And that's just, that pack is a, a Dyneema Cordura really light uh, modular backpack uh, meant for uh, guide use. He's he's designed it for, for years with the Bergen's team in order to have a backpack that could meet his requirements in the environments where he's he's working around the world. And the other pack is sort of on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, instead of being a, a, a jack of all trades, it's a very, very specific uh, powder vest, sort of a la natural selection where uh, Sage Kotzenberg and uh, the team at DB, another Norwegian brand, have made a, a riding vest, which uh, for those of you who haven't ridden with the vest, vests are great for me as a snowboarder because uh, instead of having all of the weight behind my body, uh, I can share it on both sides of my body and, and have a really balanced riding experience. So for situations where you're free riding in the resort in the European style, where you're, uh, there's very little avalanche control uh, off piste and you're venturing into avalanche terrain using the lifts or and more North American style where maybe you're skiing a ton of powder in trees and have exposure to tree wells or you're exiting uh, backcountry gates at your resort, then uh, it's a, a perfect product to um, any time where you're mechanically accessing the backcountry. That also, of course, includes snowmobiling, which is uh, really one of the, the sources of the best product uh, in skiing. And, and this product has been developed with skiing and snowboarding specifically in mind. So it has all of the features that you would expect of a, uh, a bag, including carry options for snowboards and skis. And uh, it's sort of your, your boot pack best friend uh, at places like Jackson and Baker and, and Telluride and all the the great side country uh, destinations that that exist in uh, North America. So, Will, tell us a little bit more about the technical specifications of the SBX system. You know, like how much does it weigh? How long is it going to run for? What is the power source? Some of those specs give us the nitty gritty. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important spec for Safeback is the runtime. So when you are in an avalanche or in a tree well and you activate the system, the system will run for 90 minutes continuously uh, at the coldest temperatures. So minus 30 degrees is the, the coldest temperature that we spec for. And uh, the system will run until either the batteries die or until you uh, the, the rescue is made and, and the system's manually turned off in the on the control unit. There's a, a test off button on the on the the device itself. That 90 minute mark is uh, holy to us, and and it's related directly to these batteries that we use. So we use six Energizer Ultimate Lithium AA's. Uh, little bit of a mouthful, but we've done a lot of testing on these batteries and. 
put them against all the other battery types that we could find on the market in order to make sure that we have the right combination of power supply and also availability of a power source so that you can reliably find this at at shops around the world and uh, and online. So these batteries, they're they're the best performing batteries at cold temperatures, uh, number one. But number two, they um, they are have lithium contents that's low enough that you can travel with them in your carry-on. And number three, we we did a lot of testing with rechargeables as well. And compared to rechargeables, we struggled. And a lot of feedback that we got was that if you have to recharge in the backcountry, then uh, the likelihood of actually uh, going through with uh, recharging in a, say, a camping situation over long term in a glacier is, is very, very low compared to just taking extra replacements with you uh, when you're going on longer trips where you think you might have to change your batteries. And then the we don't have an LED screen for the battery indication, but there are LED lights. And uh, a lot of people ask us often about uh, the use of these batteries versus alkalines. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of issues with beacons and the use of, uh, of lithium batteries and beacons designed for alkaline, where basically you'll get a false positive about the, the remaining capacity of your beacon, and, and then all of a sudden your beacon will die after being on 100% for, for a very long time. Our system is specifically spec'd for the batteries that that I mentioned from Energizer, these lithium batteries. And so we know this battery in and out, and we 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 measure exactly uh, how much capacity is left in this battery. We we're not designed to to measure the the way that alkaline batteries die out. We're specifically designed for this Energizer lithium, ultimate lithium battery, and it goes as far as if you put in. The wrong batteries, uh, we will, we can measure the mul- the voltage difference between the batteries that we spec and and these alkaline batteries, and we'll give you a negative response to basically tell you that you shouldn't be using those batteries uh, when you put them into the system. The the power system is 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 your lifeblood, and and so um, it's really important for us to stress that we 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 really don't recommend people to use other batteries than than the ones that I mentioned. Energizer Ultimate Lithium AA's, uh, and we are using six of those batteries. And those those batteries add roughly 100 grams, maybe 90 grams to the total weight. The total weight of the system comes out to be 520 grams in total. So that includes the batteries, the electronics of the system, the fan, and then all of the the plastic housing and hoses. Uh, so. In addition to that, uh, there's a, a small housing for the 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 unit in the bag, and that adds a, a maybe let's call it 80 grams. So in total, you're adding about 600 grams to your bag in order to have a safe back bag instead of uh, a regular touring backpack without any safety equipment. And then the system itself is roughly the size of, say, an old BCA Tracker One. It's about the size of your hand, and maybe an inch and a half thick takes up roughly three quarters of a liter in your bag. Uh, so very compact and and the only moving part through the bag is air. So there's nothing dynamic that you're having to adjust uh, in the bag uh, anytime you do a check. The only thing you have to go in is check the battery status uh, using the same bus- button that you would use to turn the system off. And hold the button in and you'll get an indication of how, how much battery you have to go out into the backcountry. Uh, where green means that you can meet that 90-minute threshold um, given the the battery capacity of the batteries you put in. All right. How about some questions about durability? So 
you know, if you're in a violent avalanche getting tossed around, maybe say you're in the trees and that side of your pack or your vest hits a tree, um, any durability tests there. And then a second question would be, you know, the durability of the, the tubing that runs through your shoulder straps. Like, is there any opportunity of that getting pinched or crushed and decreasing the airflow there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been a lot of testing that we've done about the durability of the, the system and the system's been uh, strengthened quite a bit even in the last year uh, in order to make sure that we can uh, survive the, the use and abuse uh, in the backcountry without uh, the system receiving either incidental or damage in, in an avalanche. We have done as well a ton of testing on airflow and the tubing that's our bread and butter and we've done a lot of uh testing with our engineering partners at a company called ecker design uh our industrial engineering partners and and we've found materials that can withstand the forces that are to be expected in uh in the event of a burial in an avalanche and even with that we've still tested uh the airflow with the tubing pinched and and we've seen that when uh, the the tubing is pinched to fifty percent, that we can maintain the same airflow as when they're uh, still wide open. And also, if you pinch one of the tubes completely, and the other still remains open, that all of the air basically transfers to that other uh, hose. And so, uh, we we we've done a lot of experimentation around this uh, blockage uh, issue, and and we've we found nothing but positive results uh, so far with the materials and and components that we've selected for the product uh, that we're launching. Is there any development being done to integrate uh, an airbag into? the system as well. I mean, I, I know that we've talked about that in the in the previous months when discussing this and and um, you know, is is there development of that that might be going on in the future? Yeah, we we say it on our website. Our system has the compatibility. It has the same mechanism for activation as uh, Alpred. So we, that's the closest compatibility that we have uh, currently, where basically we're uh, imagining a future where, uh, at the very least, you have a backpack with both systems activated on a single trigger. Uh, that would be the first iteration, and obviously we have a lot of dreams for, for how things can develop after that, but uh, there are absolutely things in the works. Uh, these, I think one thing that's important uh, to understand about this business and something that we've learned a lot about is that uh, avalanche backpacks are extremely resource consuming to develop and uh, not only the the development process and the design process but also the certification and compliance to make sure that you're passing all the tests that are necessary uh, to to take a product to market uh, and 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 legally be able to sell it and so uh I think one thing that we've always heard, especially from professional communities, is that uh, as forecasters and as key patrols, that uh, there are situations where 
airbags are required either by your insurance or uh, by who, who you're working for in forecasting. And so we know for sure that uh, we, we, we want to be able to provide backpacks that, that meet that requirement where we can deliver our function also for situations where uh, a deep burial becomes a shallower burial and, and uh, you still end up under the snow with an airbag. Uh, it's impossible to say uh, when it's coming, but uh, we absolutely are in conversations with with airbag producers and backpack producers about bringing this to the market. I think one thing that's really important for us is uh, that uh, everyone understands uh, the, the wishes of the market too. Uh, it's extremely helpful for 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 us if. Uh, the, the backpack producers that are making airbags have a good understanding of the demand for a combined product. And uh, we we really, really appreciate uh, all of the individuals who have reached out on our behalf uh, already. And uh, if you do see uh, a, a world where you'd be interested in a backpack with both systems, then that's something that is obviously uh, a huge help to, to making that actually happen. SafeVax received uh, numerous industry awards for this product. Would you mind just highlighting some of those? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the most recent ones that we're really excited about are uh, the Editor's Choice Awards from Backcountry Magazine and, and Outside Magazine uh, for the Vest product. Uh, we've also received the ISPO Award for, uh, for both our safety system and also the backpack from Bergens. And uh, a red dot design award for for our system as well. Uh, and then otherwise, uh, one of the reasons we were so secretive for so long is as a mechanically simple product, it was really important to protect our IP. So uh, before we're launching, we already have patents in the U.S., uh, patents in Norway and in Japan, and patents pending in Canada and the U.S. So uh, we'll, we'll be continuing to to work with backpack producers every year to bring new and exciting backpacks uh, to the market for a, a variety of different segments. And uh, like you mentioned, with uh, the possibility of also added function of, of airbags in, in addition to our product, um, we're, we're extremely excited about the, the future that's ahead of us and, and to be able to get to share the products, not only that we're bringing to market this year and with uh, all the awards that they've won, but uh, all the products that are in our pipeline uh, that that really uh, get us out of bed in the morning. So testing aside, like how many of these units are out there being used by consumers? You know, do you have numbers on that? And 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 I guess like wh- where where is the the most use happening, and and kind of what markets are you hoping to break into? The products are on the way to the shelves right now as we speak. So uh, we still haven't been able to analyze uh, the end consumers that are picking this up uh, the most. Uh, we we have some waiting lists and obviously we, we see really good response from a lot of those core markets that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the Northwest uh, with, with the tree wall function on top of the avalanche safety layer. Markets like Jackson in Canada as well. Uh, we're... We're actually going to be available as a guest pack at Baldface Lodge this year. Uh, so we have uh, Buff and Jeff Pensiero really excited about uh, bringing this in as, as a part of their uh, th- their safety regiment at, at Baldface. And in Europe, obviously, the, the response to the 
the the vest has also been very good among free riders that are using uh, the lifts quite a bit. The the Bergen's pack has been really well received by the guiding community, especially those who are are truly spending all four seasons out in the mountains with clients, and and want to have something that can can be as modular and and meet the needs of every single trip they're taking in the mountains, uh, regardless of of what they're doing, and and that also uh, meets the Norwegian market really well. We have an extremely high percentage of people that are touring and and using tourist cabins and and taking weekend trips in a lot of different uh, skiing conditions. Uh, also, where a lot of people are are uh, doing long more expedition style skiing uh, as a part of their their winter regiment uh, to to get strong for for those bigger tours and more uh, mountaineering style trips and in, into the high country and so to have a, a backpack that kind of meets all those needs is is really great obviously we are going to get an idea of uh, how well this is received and the volumes this year are not going to be enough to to meet demand but we're extremely, extremely excited to have everything out in the world and to see the response that we'll get uh, in all the markets that were available in. So, Will, I should add that we we are recording in the middle of November, so you did say that the products are just hitting the shelves. Um, so by the time this comes out, products will be available. You know, we have a lot of, we have listeners all over the world, but uh, a major listenership is in North America. So speaking specifically to North America, what products are available this season um, for the North American market? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in North America, the the product that's going to be widely available is the, the Vest product from DB. Uh, and Bergen's distribution is, is mostly in, in Europe. And so while that product is incredible, uh, it's not going to be available in 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 stores or, or retailers in the U.S. So the Vest product is is going to be available uh, for people to buy at backcountry.com and through Safeback's website as well as uh, DB's website uh, for for sale this year. What about if people go to ISSW in 2024 in Tromso? Can they get their hands on a Bergen's pack? Yeah, if if uh, you're keen on uh, getting your hands on a Bergen's pack, uh, I think uh, ISSW Trumson 2024 is a, a reliable place where you'll be able to find us and uh, get your hands on one. Nice. So, William, we've talked a lot about the product and the technology here. And let's talk just briefly about some of your motivations behind getting involved in this company and, and kind of your overarching goal of of trying to reduce avalanche fatalities so um you know talk about your personal experience with either a near miss or a close call or or an involvement of a a friend or family member um that has kind of spurred you towards being part of this work yeah absolutely uh i've unfortunately not had the the pleasure of working as a full-time avalanche professional and having the repetition and and time in the mountains to give me a huge volume of exposure to uh, to avalanche problems and and lead me to any major near misses myself outside of popping small test slopes and and having a few things that have have caught me off guard uh, and, and kept me in check, but. Going back to when I was a kid, uh, that's I think where all of these motivations for me lie. When I was when I was fourteen. 
in in northern Colorado. We had a family friend die in a in a large avalanche on Cameron Pass, uh, the kind of major backcountry skiing zone west of my hometown, Fort Collins. He was on a uh, a place called Hot Dog Bowl uh, up above treeline on Cameron Pass, and um, they ended up in a part of the mountain where they hoped not to be and chose to traverse across a problematic face instead of uh, down hiking and, and uh, finding a new way to, to their line. During the traverse, uh, unfortunately, they remotely triggered a, a, a one meter slide. And our friend was the, the third in the group. And uh, 2007 was a bit before the age of the, the split board, or at least the, the split board we know now. So he was on uh, snowshoes with his, uh, his board on his back and was carried down uh, the face and buried upside down. The team he was with, they were... They were extremely uh, well routined, and they they found him quickly. But they uh, unfortunately found out that their their probe hit his snowshoe, uh, and so his airways weren't free until thirty minutes or so. And they stabilized him, and he was airlifted to Fort Collins. But um, he uh, he was in a coma for for three days, and. And so, yeah, while I, while I haven't had that, that big eye-opening near mess myself, I, I've had a, a hit, unfortunately, that was incredibly near to us and um, really set this, uh, this overarching motivation and feeling for me that uh, our lives are not our own to lose. And when we do lose them, uh, the the repercussions sit with the community and our friends and family and, and loved ones, the the partners that we have out in the backcountry that are uh, trying to 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 save us in time. And now living an ocean away from my family uh, and my friends back in Colorado, uh, it's it's a massive pleasure for me to work on a product and, and, and project like Safeback to, to introduce something that, that can uniquely increase the survivability of a burial event and, um, and hopefully make the mountains for our users a little bit of a, a place where the margins of, of survival are a little bit greater. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know it's not always the easiest thing to talk about, but um, yeah, I, I think that was well said, especially the part about, you know, our, our lives are not just our own, right? Like <laughs> we owe it to not only ourselves, but to our communities, to our families, to our friends, to our partners, to do whatever we can to, to come back at the end of the day. Um, let's all remember what it's all about, right? Um, so William, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. It's been really fun to get you, get to know you over the last year. And, um, I hope we go shred in Norway sometime. It looks awesome. <laughs> Likewise, Caleb, we're extremely excited to have the, the community descending on ISSW and, and Tromsø next year. 
uh, to, to get to share that time of year transitioning into darkness uh, with everybody will be a pleasure. We'll cross our fingers for a little less COVID uh, in the air this year or next year than this year, but uh, time will tell, I, I suppose. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Will. We'll talk to you soon. See you, Caleb. We hope you've enjoyed this hour learning a little bit more about the SafeBack SBX system. Um, thanks, Will, for swinging by. Music on today's episode was provided by Ketza, and you heard the tracks Where the Sun Sets and Ain't Over, even though this episode is almost over. Our artwork was created by Mike T. You can check out more of Mike's work at his website, MikeT.com. Give us a follow on Instagram. We are at the Avalanche Hour Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on. And don't forget to tell a friend. If you got any feedback for us, you can shoot us an email at the Avalanche Hour Podcast at gmail.com. And tune in next time. We'll be airing an episode on January 15th featuring Josh Jesperson of the Silverton Avalanche School. This is a great interview. Uh, It was super fun sitting down with Josh, and I'm sure you're going to like that one. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and always have fun out there. See ya.